0: Yay. Ah, oh, hi, everyone. It's lovely to see you. Um, I, um, our printer had, was having some issues this afternoon, and I couldn't print in black. So Paul has printed it all out in red, but what he didn't know is that I put in red the bits, the points that I really want to labour. So if I start going for it on, like, a really benign point... <laughs> I'm um, really sorry. Um, hopefully, I'm going to be able to decipher it. So, yeah, I might just try and actually make this a bit taller, if I can do that. There we go. Okay. And I've got my timer, so I should try to stick to time. Brilliant. Okay. Um, okay, so um, this evening, we're going to be uh, thinking a little bit together about perspective and endurance. And I wonder what you feel when you hear those two words. Um, For me, if I think about endurance, that makes me feel quite tired. Um, It makes me think of like, you know, crazy endurance runners or um, just really hardcore people who kind of endure awful things through gritted teeth. Um, Makes me think a bit about things I've had to endure, like sleepless nights, giving birth. Um, Sorry, I think my earring is like bashing on the mic. I'm going to take it out. (laughs) Oh, there we go. Um, Yeah. What about perspective? I know for me, if I think about perspective, initially some guilt creeps in because I just think, crikey, I lose it. I lose perspective too easily. Small list of things. Um, I can just lose my perspective. But it also makes me think maybe a bit more positively about creation and about the night sky. I love the night sky. We live out in a village now, and we get amazing starry nights um, that you can't get in the city um, so well. And I love that. If I know I'm just like lost perspective on things, I love going out and looking up at the stars. Um, and I like, love looking at star facts. I'm a bit of a geek. Um, but it just blows my mind, and it just helps me to get things in perspective. I wonder where your mind goes when you think about perspective and endurance. Um, This evening, we're going to be looking at the parable of the persistent widow um, to help us with this. And um, yeah, so that is in Luke 18, verse 1. So if you've got a Bible, you can turn to it. And um, I felt God lead me to this parable, and um, I sort of thought, okay, yeah, the parable of the persistent widow fairly straightforward, probably going to be speaking about prayer, probably something along the lines of, hey guys, let's just keep on praying, and as we do, God will answer our prayers, and turns out, that's not so much what this parable is about, um, and I'm just hoping this evening that I'm going to, with God's help, um, help us just to zoom out a bit and see that actually this, this is crucial teaching from Jesus about enduring to the end, It's about how we stick close to him in the time between his first and his second comings. So as I read it to you, if you've read this loads of times and you think, yeah, I know what that's about, prayer, I just want to encourage you, let's come to it afresh and let's have our hearts open to hear what God wants to say to us this evening. So Luke 18, uh, verses 1 to 8. I'm actually reading from the ESV, um, but I think it should be fairly similar. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect, who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Okay, so... This is one of those parts of the Bible that really helps to have some good context on. So stick with me on the context. So um, this parable is in the book of Luke. And as many of you will know, Luke is an account of Jesus' life. And so it begins with his describing his birth, him growing up. Then he starts his public ministry, goes about healing people and telling people to repent. And the kingdom of God is, is here. And then we get to this quite crucial point in Luke 9, verse 51, where it says... Uh, It's talking about Jesus. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, so when it was nearly time for him to die on the cross, raise back to life, and go back to be with the Father, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. So there's this kind of pivotal point where Jesus kind of sets his face to what he's come to earth to do, which is to go to the cross to die for our sins. And from that point... Um, in the book of Luke, you see kind of a bit of a shift in the teaching. And his teaching becomes all about, how do I prepare my disciples for when I'm not physically here on earth anymore? How do I prepare them for life in a now and not yet of my kingdom? So Jesus had arrived on earth. He, he is the kingdom of God arriving. So he had arrived in part, but not fully The kingdom of God is not fully here yet. And so Jesus is teaching from this point. He sets his face to Jerusalem, and then he knows he's going to the cross and he's going back to be with the Father. He starts teaching his disciples, this is how you live in between my first and my second coming. And then we get to Luke 17, um, which is just before this parable, and the focus becomes really honed in on the kingdom of God. Um, And the Pharisees have some questions for him, and then he starts talking to his disciples about his second coming, about the fact that Jesus is coming back again, isn't he? This isn't the end, he's coming back again. And he talks about this being an event that no one's going to miss, everyone will see it, everyone will know. And literally the last few verses right before the parable, there's some quite sobering teaching about the second coming. Jesus talks to his disciples about the fact that some will be saved and some won't. That He says, there'll be two in one bed, one will be taken and the other will be left. So it's in this context that Jesus shares this parable. And the way the passage sits, it tells us that what Jesus is sharing has something to do with his second coming, something to do with the end of time when he returns again, and with the reality that for those of us here this evening who belong to Christ, we're going to be caught up into eternal life with him, and that those who don't will be left. So how do we make sense of the parable in light of this? We've got this widow, alone, unnamed, defenseless, needy, vulnerable. And we've got this judge, unrighteous, unjust, self-loving, disrespecting, not at all like our God. And the widow has some kind of situation with an enemy, we don't really know what. But what she does know is that the only chance she has for justice is to seek it from the judge, even though he's unrighteous. He's uncaring, he's unloving, so she knows that the only way she's going to get him to act is to, to wear him down, to pelt him with her requests night, night after night. And initially he refuses, doesn't he? He says no. But then he relents, and it says, um, the literal translation is, um, so that he isn't beaten black and blue. He's like, I'm going to give her a justice because otherwise she's going to beat me black and blue with these requests. So even if this ungodly judge gives justice to this nameless widow who he cares nothing about. The parable is so clear about that. How much more will our righteous, loving, perfect father make sure that justice is done for those who are his elect? So if you follow Christ here tonight, you're his elect. You're his chosen ones, known by him, named by him, children of his. This is good news. This is good news. To help us further, let's just have a look at a bit more of this parable and about how it's top and tailed. So at two points on this, the top and the tail. So right at the start of the parable, verse 1, Luke really helpfully tells us what it's all about. That often doesn't happen with parables, does it? You're kind of trying to work out what it means. But Luke's like, I'm just going to tell it to you straight here. So he says, verse 1, and he told them this parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not to lose heart. Your version might say never give up. I think that's what it says in the NIV. And so the the original Greek of this not losing heart, I was going to try and pronounce it, but I've chickened out basically. I've got no idea how you pronounce the original Greek word, but it's used quite a few other times in the New Testament. And it means to grow faint, to be discouraged. And it's used other times with reference to this idea of not growing weary, not giving up doing good, um, so imagine, you know, getting beaten down, tired out, fatigued by the call to love God and those around us, weary-hearted. I wonder if anyone ever feels like that. Maybe it's just me. Maybe some of us are feeling like that tonight. And and this call to to always to pray and not to lose heart. It's not to condemn. It's not to condemn. So if any of those thoughts pop into your head tonight, it's not to condemn. Let's hear Jesus' heart. He's saying, hey, hey, I'm coming back one day to put everything right. Don't lose heart along the way. Stick close to me. Stay encouraged. Keep praying. So this is a story about not losing heart. It's a story about enduring to the end. So that's the top, the tale. Verse 8, Jesus says, Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Now, obviously, this is a rhetorical question. Jesus isn't seriously wondering, like, crikey, when I come back, is, <laughs> are, I gonna, are there going to be any faithful people left? Like, scratching his head, thinking, golly, I hope I've got some people to catch up to glory with me. He, he knows there will be. He knows there will be. In fact, later on this evening, we're going to see how, actually, he's the one that orchestrates that and brings it about. So he uses, it, he uses this rhetorical question for dramatic effect to make a point why? Why, does he, why is he saying to his disciples, am I going to find anyone faithful? I think it's because he knows that in this life there will be trouble. There will be hardship, there will be suffering, there will be persecution. John 16 verse 33 says, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart. There we go, take heart, don't lose heart. I have overcome the world. Jesus knows that there'll be trouble for all of us in this life. And he knows that we have an enemy, like the widow, who seeks to distract, to discourage, to rob us of our joy and our peace and our hope. So Jesus knows we need to hear this encouragement. We need to hear this encouragement to persevere, to not give up, and to endure until the end, till he returns. So the point Jesus is making in this parable, it's not about beating God down, beating God black and blue with our persistent requests. It's not even really about coming to God in persistent prayer, which is good, that is a good thing to do, but that's not really the point of the parable. It's actually, it's about our, our hearts yearning, our longing for him to return. It's about our crying out to him to come again for justice to be done. Quite simply, for Jesus to come back and to put everything right, once and for all. Our hearts longing for there to be nothing bad and nothing sad. For the good news of the second coming of Jesus to be realized. It says in Romans 8, verse 19, even creation is waiting with eager longing for the second coming. This was Jesus' mandate to his disciples back then. And it is to us here today as well. Do you want to know how to live faithfully while you wait for me to come back? Yearn for my return. Put your hope in the fact that I am coming back. Have a heavenly perspective. Like Jesus set his face towards Jerusalem. He knew what he was about while he was here on earth. Have we set our faces to glory, to heaven, towards the new heaven and the new earth, towards the fact that Jesus is coming back? So when we're suffering, when we're struggling, when we're persecuted, when we're pained by the suffering of those around us, Jesus is coming back one day, and justice will be done. I don't say that to be dismissive at all of what we're experiencing right now. Jesus cares so much about that, and the Bible has so much to say about how much he cares about our pain while we're here on earth. But he is coming back. And he will put everything right. And we do get to see glimpses of that now, don't we? Which is wonderful. But there's still suffering, there's still trouble. And we still need Jesus to return once and for all. And I wonder if we live like this. Do we live each day yearning for Jesus, expectant of his return? I know, I definitely don't. I definitely don't. A few years ago, um, I had the real privilege of praying with a lady who used to come to City West, an older lady. And um, we would get together every week for one hour and pray. And um, this is when we were living in our old house, and we had a big bay window in our lounge, and you could just see a lot of sky from it. It was, like, slightly elevated. And most times we'd pray, and then at the end of the prayer, she'd wander over to the window, and then she'd say, well... I don't think the Lord will be returning today because there's no clouds in the sky. And um, I don't share that. This isn't about whether there has to be clouds in the sky or not for Jesus to return. That's not the point. The point is she literally wondered every day if Jesus might return. Um, She lived in the reality that Jesus is coming back. And it totally affected the way she prayed. It taught me so much about how to pray, yearning for Jesus to return. How is it possible, I wonder, for us to not lose heart and to endure to the end? Because I know I definitely can't just pull my socks off and try to do that. How is it possible? I've got, I have want to just share two, two thoughts. Um, looking back into Isaiah chapter 42, um, there's a prophetic word about Jesus. <clears throat> it says this, He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth. And then a bit later on, I am the Lord, I have called you in righteousness, I will take you by the hand and keep you. It's possible to not lose heart and to endure to the end because Jesus never grows faint and is never discouraged. We heard that at the start of the verse. He won't grow faint or be discouraged until he's made sure that justice is done on the earth. You see, our cries to Jesus day and night, in the parable it talks about our our crying out to him day and night for him to return. These are an expression of our faith. Excuse me, sorry. When our kids are hurt, when they fall over and hurt themselves, they they cry out for us, and it's an expression of their trust that we're going to come and help them. Our cries to our Lord to return, they're an expression of our faith in him. Our cries don't save us. We're not saved by our persistent praying for the Lord to return again, thankfully, (laughs) because I fall down on that one. They're just an expression of our trust in not only the one who in the past died and rose again, but also our hope and our trust in the one who's promised to come back one day that he's coming back once and for all. So it's possible to not lose heart because Jesus never loses heart. And secondly, because we're kept by him. 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians verse 8, it says, I will give thanks to my God who will sustain you to the end. Who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. The day of our Lord Jesus Christ, meaning when he returns to judge the earth. We don't need to doubt our salvation. We don't need to worry about the trajectory of our lives. Am I going to make it or not? Do I need to pull my socks up a bit? And just going to try really, really hard not to lose heart. No, that's not what it's about. He is the one who keeps us till the end. Romans 8, it says, He who calls also justifies, and he who justifies also glorifies. So if you're a follower of Christ, you've been called, and he will see you all the way through to glory. He has conquered for us. All we have to do is hold fast to him. Hebrews 10 says, uh, Hebrews 10 verse 23, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope, that's Jesus, without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. We're taken by the hand and kept by the one who never grows faint or loses heart. And I think Jesus' challenge to us today Have we got our minds set on heaven, on glory? Where are we putting our trust? Where's our hope? Where does our mind go when trouble comes and when we're faced with injustices all around us or personally? I was thinking about, for me... um, I love it how when you're preparing something like this, God is just mostly putting his finger on your own stuff. (laughs) So it's been a couple of weeks for me, but I was thinking about um, an example for me would be, uh, so at, at work, I work with people who are really suffering, and a part of my job is to hear the details of the worst things that have happened to people. And I have a half an hour cycle home at the end of the day, and it can go one of two ways. So one way it can go is, that um, all of my trust and hope is in myself, as a psychologist, that hopefully I can do something to be helpful, even though nobody's been able to help this person for years and years and years. And then the expression of that is that I just feel hopeless and despair, and I don't turn it to prayer. I just feel like, why am I even doing this job? This is pointless. Another way it can go is I'm cycling home, and my eyes are on Jesus, and I know that he's coming back, And that all the injustices I've heard about that day will one day be put right by God. And my expression of that then, the outward expression of my hope and my trust that Jesus is coming back, is to cry out for him to return, to cry out for his kingdom to come now into these people's lives, for them to be saved and for him to return and put everything right so there's no more suffering and evil. Two very different cycles home. And what I'm trying to allow God to do is to help me learn to let the troubles of life fuel my prayers for him to return. I just think the world, it offers us so many naff alternatives to hope in Christ, doesn't it? But there are loud voices around us, and I think it's easy to fall into putting our hope and our trust in things other than Jesus and his return. In ourselves, I don't know what it would be for you, fate, what will be, will be, what goes around, comes around. Maybe it's losing hope and faith altogether, feeling despair or fear, disconnected and despondent. Perhaps it's to doubt God. Is he really just? Is he really loving? Is he really kind? Is he really coming back? I wonder what it is for you tonight that God's putting his finger on. We have such a wonderful hope in Jesus, don't we? That he's coming back. And I just know for me, if I lived every day in the reality of that, my life would look so different. I, would, I think I would be more urgent in my sharing of Christ. Crikey, Jesus might come back tomorrow. This might be my only opportunity to share with them. I think I would be much more joy-filled. I'd be closer to Jesus, I think, because I'd be crying out for him more. I'm coming to the end now. Just um, before we come to a close, I, I also just wanted to share a bit, I just suppose if just a few practical thoughts, because this is quite like bigger picture thinking, isn't it? You know, Jesus is coming back again, so I just thought sort to of share a little bit about how I try to, to live more in the reality of that or to foster that um, in my life. So I think the first thing... Pray, if you can, pray with someone regularly who lives more in the reality of the second coming than you do right now. It will raise your faith. It will teach you heaps. Find someone. Find someone like that. Secondly, preach scripture to yourself. Oh, I so need this. I so need this. I have to keep reminding myself all the time because there's just so many other voices and it's just so easy to lose perspective. Find some scriptures that you can just keep preaching to yourself that you remind you of this wonderful hope we have in Jesus's return. Maybe it's to read Revelation. <clears throat> Revelation is kind of a crazy book, isn't it? For anyone who's read it, but I just really recommend it. It's where I mean the stuff about Jesus's return all the way through the Bible, but it really unpacks what that's going to be like, what's going to happen, what the you know the bits of information we've got about what the new heaven and the new earth will be like, and we went through it in our running partners um, over COVID. It took us about two years. <laughs> we finally made it, but um, I just massively recommend it to get into Revelation. And if you're a bit daunted by it, I recommend this book. It's like a study guide, and um, we've got one. Well, this is the one from the table. Just really helpfully will help you walk through the book of Revelation to preach scripture to yourself, get into the Bible and read what the Bible says about Jesus' return. Maybe it's about daydreaming a bit more about the new heaven and the new earth. Maybe it's put your phone down while you're having a wee and think about the new heaven and the new earth or something, get it into your routine. (laughs) Maybe that's just me. Um, But yeah, um, I think we could spend more time thinking about what's coming next. This is just our temporary life, isn't it? We're just temporary residents here. Um, whatever we're experiencing right now, although it might feel and be so big and significant, it is momentary in the grand scheme of things of God's glorious plan. I also just want to recommend our very own Gough Hope has written a book called "Hope Wins," and um, I have heard from a couple of people, not just Angie, so this isn't completely biased, um, I have heard from someone else who's read it, who isn't a hope, um, that it's really fantastic and absolutely worth a read, and that is coming out on the 12th of May, so you can order it from the website futurehope.org.uk. Yeah, okay, got it totally wrong, Sorry. <laughs> Hopewins.org, that makes a lot more sense. Hopewins.org.uk. So you can pre-order or get that. So I would really recommend it. The the book is about this, right? This sort of stuff, yeah. Okay, okay. So um, we're going to have a time. I've gone on a few minutes too long. So we're going to end there, but we're going to have a time to respond with a wonderful song called There Is A Day, which will really help us just to lift our eyes. And um, as these guys are getting ready, I just want to encourage you to stand if you're able. Um, And I just wanted to read out some bits from Revelation um, about Jesus' return. so I encourage you just to quiet your heart before God, and I'm just gonna read some scripture over us, and then we'll lead into the song, is that right, Sarah? Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. And he said to me, These words are trustworthy and true, and the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. place. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus.